Preferred Capital Funding presents the Result Podcast, a podcast where trial lawyers share a recent verdict or settlement and discuss how they achieved the result. The Result Podcast is brought to you by Preferred Capital Funding. PCF provides loans to your clients, all while providing the highest level of customer service and continuing to be 100% attorney referral based. If you have a client in need of a loan, please contact me at jason at pcfcash.com. Now let's hear from attorney Sydney McClafferty of Geyser, Bowman & McClafferty in Columbus, Ohio, about how PCF has been able to serve her and her clients. My clients have greatly appreciated having an attorney who has the resources to meet their needs quickly. PCF is a fast and accessible resource for my clients, allowing me to provide solutions to their most urgent concerns, whether that be funding for continuation of health insurance or money to replace a car so they can return to work. It's truly been a lifesaver for some. Today, the podcast is happy to welcome Scott Weidenfeller of Graywall Law with locations throughout Michigan. Scott heads up the medical malpractice team at Graywall and has tried cases in multiple states. A super lawyer since 2011, rated a top 100 attorney by the American Trial Lawyers Association, and having been featured on the cover of Michigan's Lawyers Weekly, Scott's reputation in the legal community continues to grow. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. As we do every episode, let's start at the end. What was the monetary result of the case we will be discussing today? Well, the case I wanted to discuss today wasn't my largest verdict. It was uh, only $1.215 million, but I thought it was an inter- interesting case to talk about on a podcast. I like it. Tell us, Give us some details about the case. Yeah, so this was a kind of a unique case for many reasons. Um, this involved an elderly woman who presented to the hospital after she'd had a pretty significant heart attack. Um, After the heart attack, the medical treaters put her on pretty strong pain medications uh, to the point where she needed to be physically restrained with those soft hand collars so that she wouldn't get up out of bed and fall and hurt herself. Well, of course, you know, they didn't put the hand collars on. She was on, you know, these medications that affected her mentation. She got up out of the bed and she fell to the floor in the hospital and she got a pretty deep laceration and gouge right over her right eye. And um, this is where it gets interesting. So the, uh, there was a resident on duty that day um, who came in the room and he took alcohol, an alcohol wipe to wipe out the wound, to clean the wound uh, on her eye. And then um, he pulled the, this woman, uh, her name was Valeria. He pulled my client's mask down and the mask still had 15 liters of pure oxygen blowing in uh, steady. Now, he didn't shut the oxygen off. He left the oxygen blowing in, angled up toward her head, toward her face still. And then he took a cautery device. And I know the lawyers listening will know what a cautery device is. That's a, a heated device. You press a button on it and it heats up. If you're using it for cutting, it can be as high as 2200 degrees Fahrenheit at the tip. Um, There is a cautery setting, which is a lower temperature, but either way, that's like a spark, of course. So he takes that that uh, super hot cautery device and goes to touch it to the alcohol soaked wound with pure oxygen blowing on it. Now, you can imagine what happened. Um, Her whole face blew up. Uh, The ceiling above her was burned. That mask that was on her melted into her face and into her shoulder. Of course, she went into a a quick code and they did bring her back and re-resuscitated her. But it was such a crazy case. Um, And part of the the case that 
really was fascinating to me is the fact that the hospital didn't resolve the case. Um, we had to try that case in front of a jury, and I was really shocked that that the hospital system wanted members of the public to hear that. And, of course, the news media and outlets picked it up, picked the story up. That's insane. I When you were going through the details there, I was like, this had to have been a pretty clean, quick settlement. What Give us what, why do you believe they went that route ultimately now looking back? Well, that's interesting. And it, part of it, I believe um, it, there's two primary factors. Number one, um, anybody that practices in Michigan, and I know you had like Ben Johnson on, who's just a fantastic trial lawyer here in Michigan. Um, ben Johnson uh, would know this and other lawyers too. In Michigan, we have a cap on damages. And so what that means is unless you have economic damages long-term, in other words, if someone has wage loss or someone is paralyzed and now they need equipment or they need attendant care, of course, those numbers on those cases, when we resolve those are huge, you know, multi-million dollar settlements or verdicts. But a case like this, um, her damages were primarily pain and suffering, right? And of course, the scarring on her face. Well, unfortunately in Michigan, our legislature, uh, I think much to its shame, uh, has passed a law that says the most you can collect is capped at a certain amount and it, it adjusts every year. But at the time, the amount was around $380,000 would be the most that she could ever collect um, for all of her primary injuries. We were able to add on a lien and there were some sanctions, I believe, from our win on that as well. But that's why the number's not huge. So the cap is one reason why the hospital looked at this and said, well, this is horrific, but there's no way we're going to pay you a million dollars because there's a cap. And so that was one factor. The other factor was that the family in this case was so angry at the hospital that early on um, they made a bunch of statements in the media about what happened. And interestingly, it really became kind of personal every time we went to facilitation or or tried to discuss resolution of this case with the hospital rather than doing the right thing and helping this elderly woman that they severely burned, uh, they let their emotions get in the way and they wouldn't talk to us. So it, it was a really a strange scenario all the way through. I've never really encountered a case like this before. So let's talk about that a little bit. When you have a fact pattern uh, as good as you can possibly have here, how do you prepare for a trial when it's a case that under, I think, any other circumstances, probably would have been settled long before you ever hit a courtroom? Yeah, good question. And to be honest, as a trial lawyer, um, this is one of those cases. Um, it may seem counterintuitive, but I think, you know, my colleagues and, you know, you and, and Brian can understand, this is a case where we really get nervous to try because <laughs> um, not only are the damages to this poor woman horrific, but, but we're expected to win this trial. You know, and so when you go into a trial where you're expected to win, um, it can be a little bit more uh, scary because uh, just on a personal note, and I know it's not about me, it's about our clients always. Um, but on a personal note, I felt uh, I felt a little nervous going into this trial because I knew that if I didn't win, I'd probably be the laughing stock of the bar, not somebody that you're giving a nice intro for. Um, so, so there was that factor. And so what we did, of course, is we focus grouped uh, the case. Um, and when we focus grouped the case, 
the goal is to present the very best defense case that you can. You don't want to win a focus group. You want to present the strongest defenses in the strongest ways you can, and then hear the jurors, the, the focus group participants, discuss then what are the factors uh, that go into those defenses. Are they latching on to them? Do they dismiss them? Uh, what are the questions and further information they need to you know, rebut that? Why don't they like that defense? And so we did that. Um, we we focus grouped the case, I think, more than once. And we we got a lot of information about, um, you know, how to frame the case in a way uh, that, you know, uh, minimized those defenses that the jurors were going to discuss. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the use of focus groups. Uh, one of the interesting things with some of the guests we've had previously is, at least I find interesting, what factors, not just this case, but any case that you face, what factors or value does a case have to have in order for you to say, we should focus group this particular case? Yes. Um, I, you know, I, I really believe that, um, and the way we practice, uh, we don't have a super high volume practice. And so we really focus group every case that has a chance of going to trial. And we kind of do it in different ways. Obviously, these uh, cases are, as you know, very expensive to pursue. And one of the factors of whether or not we focus group and how much money we spend in, and this is where preferred capital funding, your company has been such a great help, is that we are able sometimes to get a loan through your company. Uh, and we did it on a couple recent huge cases, you know, uh, both of them over 7 million, we used your company to help the clients uh, get some, some money so that they can um, go the distance so that we don't have to accept that, that lower number. So in those situations, um, we typically, on a bigger case, will focus group the case very early on because we want to see what do they think of our experts' basic opinions. Uh, that way we can figure out, hey, which of our theories really seems the most important to people. And um, obviously, you know, a lot of respect for other people's opinions because no single mind is complete. And certainly as a lawyer, we can get stuck in the forest for the trees. And it's really helpful to have a juror who is coming at this from a non-medical, non you know, medical or, or legal background and looking at this and saying, you know, hey, here's what I think. And, and that's exceedingly helpful on our smaller cases. And when I say smaller, I mean ones that have this cap in Michigan. We usually focus group those cases closer to trial. And um, we, of course, um, you know, um, sometimes do more than one focus group on those as well. Perfect. Let's jump back to the trial now. We know that we got a little bit of nerves going in because uh, we're expected to win the case. Tell me, how did the defense approach the actual jury trial? No, I, I just can't get over the fact pattern here. And I get the with caps, whatever else. I'm just trying to figure out what is what were they possibly presenting uh, at that trial to the jury? Well, <laughs> good question. Um, so what they did is, um, of course, um, minimize the damages because by the time we got to trial, you know, because they litigated this case the whole way, by the time we got to trial, her, the damage to her face, the side of her face and her, her shoulder was significantly improved, um, you know, as these burns do heal over time. And so that was one factor. They showed current pictures of her to try and make it look like, hey, you know, the plaintiff's going to show you these horrible pictures where her face is black and the ceiling's burned and the mask is melted. But 
this is the real damage. And, you know, she was, our client at that time was, I think, 78 or 79 years old. So she was an, an elderly woman and um, she did have significant other health issues. Um, and unfortunately, uh, they drugged this case out so long that she actually passed away. And so that was a factor too, I think that, um, you know, ultimately this poor woman ended up not getting uh, the money. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, the defense knows that there's a cap in Michigan. And so, of course, we wanted the full amount of the cap plus the lien plus, you know, um, the other uh, accommodations that had to be, be made uh, to her for this burn. We wanted the full amount we could collect. And um, given the family's um, attitude and statements to the media, the, the risk management department at this hospital just took it personally. And they decided, they just told this defense attorney, try the case, minimize the damages, and uh, we don't really care. I, I, I really believe that's what it was. We don't really care. We just want to make a statement that we're not going to be bullied. It, it was the strangest uh, attitude. How long was the jury out? I believe the jury was out about two and a half hours, if I remember. It was a pretty quick, uh, pretty quick turnaround for a jury. Did you get a chance to speak to any of the jurors after the trial? Yeah, we did. They, um, you know, they were they were shocked um, by what happened here. And of course, they had the resident who burned her face come in and he was a nice guy. I'll admit it. Um, but, you know, him trying to explain that this was a, quote, complication of a procedure, you know, is such a joke. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's just it was ridiculous. Um, they, they really thought the defense was ridiculous and they gave us what we asked for. Um, so, you know, we, we didn't ask for a $10 million verdict. Maybe we should have just to get the number, but, but we just asked for what we could collect in Michigan. And we, we got that from the jury. Scott, in, in a case like this, we're, for all of our attorney listeners, what do you think the most important takeaway is when you have a case like this that I, by all accounts kind of unexpectedly goes to trial? What do you think the biggest tangible thing you can learn from this process was? I think from this case, um, one of the things we learned um, was that we didn't, we, we, I think in every case, and this case as well, one of the most important things for a plaintiff lawyer to do is to build up your credibility uh, when you're trying a case. And that starts, of course, in voir dire. And every time you say something, you have the document to back it up. And once you do that repeatedly, 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 um, you really uh, tell telegraph to the jury very early on that you're not trying to manipulate them and that when something comes out of your mouth, oh, there's the document. She was burned. Oh, there's the picture. You know, she went through this. Oh, there's the document. Right. And I think that that is really uh, something that any good lawyer and I've listened to your your uh, result podcast here. That seems to be a theme I hear among, you know, Mark Lanier and all these other people is that your credibility is really the most single most important thing, I believe. Paramount for yeah. sure. Scott, is there anything that we've missed in discussing the case today? No, I thank you very much, Jason. I appreciate it. No, nope, thanks for coming on and uh, have a very happy holiday. And you as well. Thank you. 